you're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hi, it's Erica. Hi, it's Shannon. And hey, it's Grace. And today I will be reading the great research done by our, I guess, quote unquote, ghost researcher, Melanie. Um, She was actually lucky enough to have a video call with this, um, this man we'll be talking about with his family. So she got a lot of great information, a lot of great pictures that we'll be able to put up on the blog. So um, I'm pretty excited to read this on her behalf. But we will be talking about Gary Drace Sr. in this episode. So let's just get into it. So Melanie was able to have a video call with Gary Drace Sr.'s wife, Anna, his daughter, Shannon, and nephew, Peter. Now, Anna and Gary had three children together. Brianna was 11 at the time of her father's death and is now 29. Shannon was 16, is now 34. And Gary Jr. was 25 at the time of Gary Sr.'s death. He passed away at the age of 40 as he collapsed at work along his U.S. post office service route in 2020. And then Gary Sr., who we will be talking about is also a proud grandfather to Gary Jr.'s son, Dominic, just to give you a little background on the family. Born May 20th, 1957 at Methodist Hospital and raised Presbyterian in a row house on Bucknell Street, Gary Drace was the third oldest of Roland and May Forbes Drace's four boys. Roland worked for 40 years delivering beer from a flatbed truck for Antonio Origlio Beverage, while May's job was taking care of the nuns at St. Agnes Convent. Gary's brother Mark recalls growing up a modest life, Uh, playing for hours in the street, riding the quote-unquote magic steps over and over whenever they visited Lit Brothers Department Store, and climbing atop the roof at the Philadelphia International Airport to watch the planes take off and land. What a simpler time. (laughs) Uh Certainly could not do most of those things today, at least in that area. As a family, they enjoyed trips to the Reading and Allentown fairs and attending car and motorcycle shows. Theirs was a big mummer's family, and though he was not as passionate about the long hours of preparation as his father and brothers, Gary happily strutted with the fancy Golden Sunrise Club and many New Year's Day parades. That's awesome. That sounds like so much fun. (laughs) What a fun family. (laughs) Gary went to the former Edgar Allan Poe Elementary School and Vare Junior High, and instead of high school, attended a vocational school for carpentry. He enlisted in the Marine Corps and got as far as advanced training for recognizance before an old hand injury in which he lost a finger forced a medical discharge. This same injury, which occurred when Gary was thrown off a dirt bike and resulted in him losing a finger that was later surgically reattached, had already ended his days as a promising boxer, according to the family. So he had a lot going on. He did. It was a nice life. Yeah, absolutely. 
After his stint in the military, Gary started his own carpentry business and was a proud member of the Carpenters Union Local 845. Forever a hustler, as we could tell so far, (laughs) Gary was 21 and selling pots and pans out of his truck on Market Street when he first met his wife, Anna, an 18-year-old Catholic girl from Chester, walking to her office building. After following her for several blocks, he finally asked for her number. It was late December. By April, they were an exclusive couple. I mean, probably couldn't pull that Definitely off today, not. following a woman for several blocks. <laughs> Get arrested. I'd be running. <laughs> You'd be pepper sprayed. Yep. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Wouldn't end well for you. But apparently he had the best of intentions. So good for them. Anna stated, he swept me off my feet. He knew everyone. It was so exciting, said Anna, noting that they enjoyed going to bars, disco dancing, and antiquing. The couple wed in 1988. Their relationship was a bit tumultuous, and they did separate on and off through their marriage due to some of Gary's poor decisions, excessive drinking, and drug abuse. Although they were separated at the time of his death, there was never any talk of divorce. Anna is quoted as saying, Through all their hardships, she always loved Gary, and in the end, she never had one doubt that Gary did not love her. That's sweet. (laughs) I know, that's sweet. Gary could come off like a tough guy, loud and rowdy, but he was known to have a huge heart. His lifestyle tended to project a tough guy persona, but he had another side. A man who never missed work, stepped up when his wife was recovering from major surgery, doted on his kids, revered his mother, paid his bills on time, and when the mood struck was a comedian, according to his family. He was also good at math, known to help stranded motorists, and didn't mind shoveling snow for neighbors. That's a great guy. That's a great neighbor, a great friend, great family member. Nobody helps stranded motorists anymore. Despite his... Poor choices and things that he struggled Mm -hmm. with. Can't be perfect. (laughs) Right. Of course. Absolutely. According to his daughters, Shannon and Brianna, he was louder than most, had tattoos and rode a Harley. But deep down, he was a caring and hardworking guy. He was always trying to do better for his family. They knew their dad wasn't necessarily a clean-cut guy, a little rough around the edges, and maybe a bit intimidating appearance-wise, but being raised by him helped shape their perspective on the way they viewed others, allowing them to be more open-minded. Sadly, despite these wonderful qualities, his wife Anna was quoted as saying, I think just life and poor decisions definitely got in the way. Since prior to his death, he was known as a functioning alcoholic and drug user battling demons from his past due to a somewhat rough upbringing. He was very close with his mother, but did have a complicated relationship with his parents, especially his dad, who was also an alcoholic. That's really hard when that's kind of passed down in your family. So now we're going to get into Gary's death per police statements. Authorities believe Gary Drace, 48, was killed September 14, 2005, after eating dinner with his mom, May, and older brother, Dale, at their home on Lampost Lane in Aston. He was beaten, bludgeoned, and thrown through a sliding glass door before he was fatally shot in his own Glen Road home, uh, which was in Aston, 13 days before his body was discovered. That's horrible. 
That's almost two weeks. And that's a violent death. Yes. Yeah, and absolutely. It sounds noisy. Like yeah, it would be yeah, violent absolutely. and loud and and they said he was loud, so Yeah. And I mean, how could anyone be thrown through a sliding glass door quietly? <laughs> and no one calls the police, you know, it took thir- almost two more weeks before they they found him. Unless neighbors were used to kind of loud and rowdy stuff from over there, I guess. I guess that's a good yeah. point. Or maybe he was on a larger property where it necessarily wasn't heard by the neighbors. That's true. But that is so much overkill. I mean, someone was angry. Mm -hmm. Police initially stated that Gary was known to brag about money he kept at the house, which put robbery at the top of a list of working theories. Yeah, don't do that. Don't brag about that. (laughs) Right. Just a sitting duck at that point. Uh, PCP which she has the actual name for here that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. It's PCP. You know what PCP Mm -hmm. is. No one would know that word. (laughs) The full word. It was among the evidence recovered in the house. Although Anna Drace found $16,000 in the pocket of Gary's jacket after the house was cleared as a crime scene, police did not believe it ruled out robbery as a potential motive, which I guess makes sense. Maybe you wouldn't think that he had that much money on his person but if you were there for robbery i would assume that you would check the body that's just me or well i don't know if the jacket was on him right was it hanging that's up in a closet or something wondering. oh yeah. i see and if he kept that much money in the pocket of a jacket um maybe he had a lot more money somewhere else in the house that they found and yeah were satisfied with that you're right. That's a good point. Yeah. I just assumed that jacket was on him, but it does say after the house was cleared at like the crime scene. So it probably was somewhere else. They believed there was enough of an appearance of a struggle with drawers open, blood on the walls, like Gary was moving throughout his property. Even a friendly visit that turned violent is within the realm of plausibility, especially if you add PCP to the equation, a detective stated. I guess, I mean, that could... If he had PCP in his system, that could explain why it was so violent and it probably took a while to get him down. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, and, and especially if it was two men on that on those drugs. Yes. Yeah. That could explain a very violent battle there. But also not, I mean, even if it's a large property, I guess it would have to be a pretty large property to not hear those things going on. And for it to be two weeks, which just gets under my skin because he had to be not in great shape by right. then. Yeah. And I guess this um, is a different house. So I was picturing a row home because I, I, there was something about living at a row home earlier, but it, that can't be. This must be, I guess this is a different property. I, I lived in Aston for a little bit. And there's like, there's a couple different sections and some have some larger homes on some bigger properties. So it just, I guess, depends where in the township he was. Sure. Um, And then there's also like, you know, sections with like smaller ranchers and split levels and stuff that are, they're somewhat close together, but not too familiar with Glen Road. So. Gotcha. Can't really speak to that, but, you know, Aston's, you know, at least what, you know, when I lived there, when my younger son was born you know it was a really really nice area okay gotcha yeah and i guess we could look it up maybe on like google street view but i mean this was almost 20 years ago so 
yeah who knows what's changed but yeah i still have a lot of questions <laughs> um mm-hmm. the authorities also said they are not certain that it was the victim or his killer or killers who crashed through the sliding glass window. So here is the family's account with some police detail. At the time of Gary's death, Anna and Gary were separated. The girls were living with Anna, and Gary Sr. had moved out with his son, Gary Jr. Although separated, the family remained close. They still did things together, like family dinners, and things were amicable between Anna and Gary. The last time they saw Gary was at a family picnic on or around September 11th, 2005. Shannon had just gotten back from a trip to Europe with school, which Gary had worked very hard to help pay for and encourage the family to join him that day, which they did because they remember him saying family is everything. The kids also recall Gary taking them for water ice and interacting with them a bit more in the days before his death. In retrospect, they thought their dad's increased interest in hanging out with them more Uh, was strange, almost a premonition, perhaps, like he knew something was going to happen to him, which is sad and haunting. (laughs) Anna had been on her way to an evening appointment on September 27th, 2005, when she decided to stop by because she hadn't heard from Gary in nearly two weeks. He wasn't answering his phone and wasn't reaching out to Anna, which he would to check on the kids or call to meet up with them. As Anna approached the house, asking her daughters to wait by the car, she initially thought everything was okay because the TV was on. But as she got to the door, she could see him through the door window, laying on top of the landing of the stairwell and saw blood all around the area. She couldn't get the front door open as it often jammed, although police later confirmed that it was unlocked implying there was no forced entry. So she went to the back of the house, broke through the gate to find the sliding glass door completely shattered with very little glass remaining in the door frame. So super shattered. Anna described seeing blood everywhere, signs of a struggle, especially in the kitchen. She remembered not thinking the house had been ransacked as the living room and dining room were undisturbed. She immediately went to the neighbor's house to call 911, and police responded shortly after. Anna and her daughters were obviously so distraught and vividly remember the yellow crime scene tape going up around the house, which they can still picture today. So what a scene to find your husband. I mean, even though you're separated, they still cared about each other. That's traumatic. Yes. Well, yeah, and her daughters being with her, and I think they were like 11 and 16. That's absolutely yeah, awful. that's horrible to have to find that. Fortunately, she had the foresight to make them stay outside and not have them go in and witness that as well. Yeah, thank goodness. Yes. Anna and her family recall many details from the time that Anna found Gary when the home was released back to them. After about a month, where Anna still resides today and the ensuing months and years after Gary's death, that'd be really tough to stay in that house, too. But I guess if you're, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. I mean, I could never understand that trauma. So maybe that helped her heal to stay there. Maybe. But wow, that had to be a really tough time. One thing that sticks out to them is that the neighborhood was densely populated enough that someone should have noticed the broken sliding glass door, the mail piling up, and the lights and TV TV and radio on for weeks. So that's kind of what we were talking about before. How did that answer? Yeah. Yes. They're next to each other, just like a little residential neighborhood. So 
Yeah. Yeah. So strange. Strange. They even stated that the next door neighbors had a baseball game in their yard while Gary had remained undiscovered and were retrieving baseballs from the backyard of Gary's home, but didn't notice the broken sliding glass door. Interesting. Kids might not. She is quoted. That's true. That's true. She is quoted in a news article as saying, what bothers me the most is that the neighbors notice a dog going to the bathroom on their neighbor's lawns, or they notice a stray cat or a leaf blown onto their driveway and gossip, talk, sound off about it for days. But no one notices this crime scene for days, a busted glass sliding door, windows open, an extremely loud TV and stereo. A detective at the time even uh, was even quoted as saying, I could smell death and decomposition from the street as he approached the scene that night. So this is all very interesting. I guess it depends on the, the neighbors, but if they complain. And, and their relationship with the neighbors, like maybe they were afraid of him or something. And that's very strange. I mean, it, maybe they just didn't want to uh, get involved. Right. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, knowing yeah. he of his history too, they might have just kind of kept their distance. Like I have a next door neighbor that's strange and you know, we don't really pay much attention to him <laughs> and unless we talk you know, we actually see him and you know, and sometimes it goes either way. So it, it could be a similar situation where we might not even notice anything. I like to think I would because Yeah. You know. Or or if you do, you just don't you don't bother with it. I'm not gonna mm-hmm. get involved. I you know, I, I don't, this person is strange. I, I don't want to get involved in anything that they're yeah, involved in. Yeah, and I will say, fair. yeah, I agree with that. And I'll, I'll say too, like I, the smell that there's, I don't, I don't know about where they're, they are in Aston, but just growing up in Delco, like, you know, in my, in my neighborhood, like every corner pretty much has a sewer, you know, for the, for the rain off and stuff. So there's, you know, there's a lot of times you get those, you know, those methane smells or, you know. You know, animal decomp too. You know, emanating from the, from those sewers because they are, you know, they are so open because they're right in the curb. You know, like in it. You know, the clown. You know, that was like pretty much. You know, you know your four your four corners at every intersection um, where I grew up. So it could, you know, it could have if, if there was something like that, it might have just been, you know, poo pooed off to to being right. Well, and I don't know if people's minds right. go to dead body when as soon as they smell something. Like not everyone is us, <laughs> and and would your right. not everyone's mind goes there? They go, oh, so, oh, yeah. something must have died in the backyard. Yeah, apparently, and I wouldn't know. I mean, gross, but I've never smelled a dead body. And when you talk to detectives and people that are around right. it, it's a very distinct smell. Right. But I don't know. That I would just know that. So if you think you're just smelling something gross and you're like, oh, it's the sewer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if I would just assume if these are like complaining neighbors that, you know, if there was an eyesore, like a broken door, even though it's in the back or if the TV is very loud I would just assume someone would complain, but maybe they were just scared of this guy and mm-hmm. didn't want to get involved. So I don't know. I mean, it's all speculation. Who knows? It does just come off as strange since, holy crap, this what scene was like this for so long. 
That's a lot. Yeah, and I could see the family being like, what the hell? <laughs> no one called this mm-hmm. in. So I get it from so, both sides. So. I was wondering about about the sliding door. So is was it, you know, mm-hmm. I, like if you have a sliding door, you have, you know, like one that's stationary and then one that slides. And then mm-hmm. there's also usually a screen with it. So was it just right. the sliding door that the glass was broken out of or was it both? which both should have really, somebody should have really noticed that. But if it was just the sliding one and perhaps it was left open and just the screen pull closed, maybe somebody wouldn't have noticed it then. They did say that very little glass was left in the door. So maybe if you just glanced at Mm -hmm. it, you just wouldn't see. Oh, if, yeah, if there's no glass at all. You don't notice that. It just looks like a glass door. Yeah. Even if there's glass glass shattered outside, (laughs) if there was a porch or a stoop, you just might not Mm -hmm. notice that, especially, you know, if it's kids going over there to collect their baseball, they're not paying attention to anything else. So. Oh, yeah. As a a mother of a kid, (laughs) um, my kid wouldn't notice anything. Yeah, probably afraid they're going to get in trouble for having a ball in the neighbor's yard (laughs) and just wanting to get Mm -hmm. out of there. So, yes. Uh, Other things that are important to note are that Gary's last sell and bank transactions were on or around September 13th to 14th. No one from his job called to report that he wasn't showing up for two weeks and that Gary Jr. visited his dad's job site after his death to ask around. He noticed many folks in the Carpenters Union were motorcycle riders uh, with no info to help on the case. I don't know exactly why the motorcycle riders is relevant. Um, Are they, like, saying a biker gang or something? Is that what they're trying to say? Maybe. Maybe they think there's some kind of biker gang involved. Yeah, it just doesn't, just sounds like all around. No one really noticed. No one said anything. Just kind of a sad situation. But yeah, no one, no one reported that he didn't show up for work for two weeks. That's just as unusual as the neighbors and everything else. Like you can, you can kind of write off the neighbors. Oh, they were afraid or they didn't notice, but... I mean, I'm sure it was noticed that he didn't go to work for two yeah. weeks. How does nobody report Even that? Even if he has a bad call track record, I know he, you know, he had issues with drugs and alcohol. Maybe there were no call, no shows, but two weeks is right. a long time. I would certainly notice if, you know, an employee didn't show up or a coworker didn't show up for that long. But I mean, it's, it's hard because you hear sometimes, especially for very punctual people, they're employer will get nervous after one day of them not being there and they'll Mm -hmm. either report it to family or call or even call the police. So I guess, you know, compared to that, this seems odd. After the home, definitely after the home was released to Anna, after about a month from finding Gary's body, they have vivid memories of the home state. They also were able to see a copy of the autopsy report, both of which caused them to question many things about the investigation and the circumstances surrounding Gary's death. Again, they noticed a lot of blood throughout the house, on the landing and staircase walls where he was found, in his own bedroom where he went to retrieve a weapon to defend himself, and in their daughter Shannon's room. There was blood in the kitchen and on the kitchen drawers as well. 
and a knife from the kitchen was used as Gary had uh, defensive knife wounds on his hands. So that's interesting. It kind of seems like maybe it wasn't super planned if someone used a knife out of his own kitchen. And um, and again, like it sounds like it took a long time. Yeah. yeah. He's going all around the house and, and, you know, they're fighting and all this is happening. It's just crazy. Yeah, absolutely. It seemed like a very prolonged um, attack. After further inspection of the house, they noted that the garage was also not searched. Interesting. Additionally, Anna found the $16,000 in one of Gary's jacket pockets, something the police missed, which again challenges the police's motive of robbery. Could or could not, I guess, but it's interesting that that was missed and the garage wasn't searched. With the amount of blood, obvious signs of a struggle, and defensive knife wounds, it also seems very odd that the only DNA found at the scene was Gary's. According to the detective at the time, because so much time elapsed between when the victim was found and the estimated day of death, much of the physical evidence was degraded. That kind of makes sense, but after only two, two, two weeks is a long time to not find a body, but not really a long time to have DNA degrade, especially in the 2000s. I mean, it certainly wasn't. Right. Nobody was in that house, you know, between, as, that we know of. I mean, between that, between yeah. the time that it happened and the time he was found. Right. And being able to get blood. I mean, they test blood on clothing 20 years later. So why couldn't they get blood? And it just, it's like another one of those things that it seems like. If he had a reputation or, you know, they knew he kind of did drugs or, or things right. like that, that they write yes. him off. That is true. You know, like, oh, oh, this is what happens. And it's, I just cannot imagine being a police officer and doing that. Yeah. I mean, he still deserves justice and and, and a decent investigation. Absolutely. And I will say, again, it was almost 20 years ago, so DNA was nowhere near where it is today. But still, it just seems strange. I'm seeing just red flags pop up here. Per a statement given by Anna, there wasn't any sign of a struggle. No table was tipped over. I think one drawer in the kitchen was pulled out. The article also pointed out that Anna didn't buy the robbery motive that investigators have long suggested, especially after she found $16,000 in the pocket of Drace's old wedding suit hanging in the bedroom closet. So that's our answer to exactly so where can it was I found. Ask a question mm -hmm. about that? Gary was a. So is this $16,000 just in that wedding jacket? Because I know we, we talked earlier that she found a jacket. She found a jacket with. $16,000 in it. Now we're, mm -hmm. now it's um, 16000 in the pocket of this old wedding suit. Are they one and the same? Is it the, is it the, you know, the suit jacket that she found it in? And we're just I believe so. clarifying it now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. She said Gary was a saver and was always squirreling away money. Uh, that the cash was somehow overlooked early in the investigation only added to her frustrations. But Anna acknowledged there may have been things about his life that Gary kept from her, especially during their year-long separation. When Gary's body was found, he was laying on his back with his own gun found underneath him. 
Anna and her family noted there were bullet holes in the ceiling above the landing, leading them to believe that whoever shot him was standing at the bottom of the stairs and shot up at him. He was also shot with his own gun. So his own knife was used, his own gun. Police stated the murder weapon was recovered at the scene, which was one of two firearms the victim legally owned. The second firearm remains unaccounted for. How could the murder weapon be found under Gary's back and the other gun be unaccounted for? Also, this seems to imply that the perpetrators didn't bring their own weapons. Per detectives, blood spatter and other physical evidence suggested there could have been two people in addition to the victim in the house. The family believes that whomever came to Gary's house that day perhaps didn't intend to kill Gary, but send him a message. But after Gary retrieved his own guns, things may have taken the fatal turn, which makes sense, especially if drugs were involved and things just got totally out of hand. Uh When Anna retrieved the autopsy report, it was noted that Gary's pants were undone. The family stated that this was not strange to them as Gary often came home after a long day at work, took off his boots, and unbuttoned his pants to relax in his chair on the couch. That makes sense. Yep. Hand in the front. That's the old yes. Al Bundy. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought of. <laughs> they believe this implies he wasn't expecting anyone as he would have never answered the door with his pants undone. So also makes sense. Were the perpetrators lying in wait, waiting for Gary to return from dinner that night with his mom and brother? I mean, it did say no forced entry. Yeah. But maybe he didn't lock his doors. Exactly. Well, they in no way went to finger point. There were a few thoughts about who could have done this to Gary by both the family and the police. One theory floated around from the police that Gary was being asked to be patched over from one motorcycle group to another, which kind of makes more sense now as we talked about the motorcycle group um, or motorcycle riders at work. And perhaps his declination had something to do with his death. According to Anna and her family, despite being an avid motorcycle enthusiast, they had no knowledge of him belonging to any group. While he associated with members of the Pagan Motorcycle Club, authorities also do not believe he was a member of that or any other biker group. And there were even undercover motorcycle folks working the investigation and even intended, attended his funeral, but nothing of note has entered their investigation. So he had ties to the Pagans, but didn't seem to belong to any particular group. So that was a theory, but didn't seem to go anywhere. A person of interest did, however, arise out of the investigation. While we will not mention him by name, a close family friend had recently had a falling out with Gary. He was given a polygraph, which he did not pass, and shortly after retained an attorney and no longer cooperated with the police. Now, Failing a polygraph does not necessarily mean much, as we know it's not used in Mm -hmm. court, um, cannot be used as evidence. But, you know, with other evidence, it could be used as circumstantial. 
Even after ending up in jail several times over the years for various charges, police were never able to get him to talk. Her conversation, Melanie's conversation. Anna and her family stated that after Gary's passing, he never called them with condolences. And when he showed up at the funeral, he handed Anna a $50 bill, which is an odd thing. It says to them was an odd thing to do at a funeral, but I think to anyone... That's kind of yeah, strange. Maybe that's if, judgmental. I've heard of but... <laughs> a card. I've, yeah. I've heard of bringing a sympathy card. Sure. Yep. Yeah, don't tell me we have to start handing out $50 bills now. Yes. <laughs> Everywhere we strange. go. Strange. That is strange. So despite his falling out with Gary, the family said they had known him for many years and he would often spend holidays like Thanksgiving with them, making his behavior all the more suspicious. Yeah, that would throw up some red yeah. flags. Maybe he's just an to me. you know awkward individual and just didn't know how to. Like I know around death, I get really awkward and I don't like and I get like anxiety because I just don't know how to act around people. I don't know what to say to people. I mean, handing a fifty dollar bill is not something I would do, but maybe it was his way of saying he was sorry and give you know maybe that's all he had to offer to kind of help the family it could have just been a that's very fair death is just awkward in general Mm -hmm. and the way people grieve and perceive things i mean it's all very different so yeah it stands out as strange and i don't recall ever seeing anything like that at a funeral i've never experienced anything like that but it could just be someone's way of saying i'm sorry here's fifty (laughs) dollars Throw money at it. Sure. I will gladly take $50. I'll gladly take $50 at a funeral if anybody <laughs> wants to give it to me. Or just, just want to give me $50. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to turn know. it down. <laughs> yeah. Not going to yeah. turn it down. Uh, funerals are expensive, so. Uh-huh. So the only other noted lead was a female visitor driving an older model red Ford Escort. Uh, no other info was found about this woman. So, yeah, I don't know anything else about her. Anna and her family were adamant in stating that at this point, they just want closure and aren't overly concerned about a prosecution. They have offered rewards and recently attempted to get a billboard put, put up with the police's help, all to no avail. They have been in constant contact with multiple detectives and DAs over the years, and they continually state that while they are still working on the case, they don't have enough to prosecute. That's an interesting way to put that. So I wonder if they really do have some right. suspects that they're just not publicly naming. It sounds like they might. Yeah. In a news article, Anna was quoted as stating, Why? there have been a number of detectives over the years, some better than others. I think there is less work on it the older it gets. It's no fault of theirs when they have nothing new to go on. This is one of the reasons she explored other avenues, including the VDOC Society, a group of volunteer forensic experts and investigators who act as confidential consultants in hopes of assisting authorities to solve difficult homicide cases. 
While the Delaware County District Attorney at the time said he would not be opposed to the review of the files by the society in conjunction with his office, the chain of custody restrictions prohibited sharing physical evidence in this or any other unsolved cases. So they were unable to turn over evidence to some third party under any circumstances. The last... Which and this is what the Vidoc Society. I'm yeah. sorry, but this is what the Vidoc Society does. Yeah, and and they've they've helped. So I just don't understand why a DA wouldn't welcome that assistance. These are like retired FBI agents, mm-hmm. and you know these are these are serious people who know what they're doing. Not just like us as a group that's like, hey, give me your information. Correct. I mean, it's right. serious right. people We're that the have the bottom a background. of this. Yeah, this is, yeah, people with the actual, yes, background and experience. Not armchair so, detectives, um, actual mm. detectives. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yes. And it, pure speculation again, but I mean, it could, like you said, have something to do with him having a history with drugs and being in trouble. And we just know from, you know, going over so many cases that that can often be Uh kind of a stumbling block for police. They just, you know, this person is trouble, so we're not going to put as much effort into it. Again, speculation, maybe that's not what's happening here, but it just... Right, but... uh a lot of times the, the cold cases do seem like, you know, underserved investigations and, and everything yeah. to, be, because of reasons like that. Maybe they yeah. have someone in mind, yeah, you know, saying they don't have enough to prosecute. Maybe they do mm-hmm. have someone in mind and, you know, the Vidoc Society is, you know, that whole chain of, you know, chain of command thing could jeopardize a case in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There's definitely two different ways to look at it. And even more, (laughs) this is just going off of the information that we have. It seems like they may have kept some things close to the chest. So. Well, and that's physical evidence. I mean, why can't they share, um, you know, paper files or reports or things like that? They, they, I mean, I don't know that, um, the Vidoc Society, you know, only works off of physical evidence. Right. I don't know. Yeah. So hopefully they can, I don't know, maybe come to some sort of agreement. It just, like the family said, they just want closure or some some type of end or answers. So, And, and this family really is keeping up and keeping in contact with police and doing all the things that you feel like you're supposed to do to be able to get this closure. Absolutely. And, you know, contacting these, uh, you know, taking other avenues and everything. Um, So they're doing everything they can, seems like, and good for them for for sticking to it because, um, and and then, you know, contacting us and trying to to help move it along. Yeah. Yep. So I really hope they get some answers. It does say the last communication they received from the Aston Township Police was on or around September of 2022 from Bill Gordon and Chief Jim Nolan. So I really hope the family gets the answers they're looking for. Um, And again, just thank you to them so much for speaking with our researcher, Melanie. 
So anyone with information regarding Gary's death is encouraged to contact the Aston Township Police at 610-497-2633. That's all we have for this episode of the Keystone Cold Cases Podcast. Please remember never to reach out to the family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched by Melanie Lees and recorded by me, Grace. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. Theme music and production assistance by Darren Makins. Join us next time for another case to sleuth out.